Section 16 of Divine Conduct or the Mystery of Providence. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Divine Conduct or the Mystery of Providence by John Flavel. Section 16. And thirst for sad and afflictive providences in what kind or degree soever they befall us, we may wonderfully conclude they are blessings to us, and come from the love of God, when, one, they come in a proper season, when we have need of them, either to prevent some sin we are falling into, or recover us out of a remiss, supine, and careless frame of spirit, into which we are fallen, if need be, ye are in heaviness, 1 Peter 1, 6 Certainly it is a good sign that God designs your good by those troubles which are so fitted and wisely ordered to suit the opportunity. If you see the husbandman loping a tree in a proper season, it argues he aims at the fruitfulness and flourishing of it. But to do the same thing at midsummer speaks no regard to it, yea, his design to destroy it. 2. When they are fitted both for quality and degree to work properly upon our predominant corruptions, then they look like sanctified strokes. The wisdom of God is much seen in the choice of his rods. It is not any kind of trouble that will work upon and purge every sin, but when God sends such afflictions as light medicine are appropriated to the disease the soul labours under, this speaks divine care and love. Thus we may observe, it's usual with God to smite us in those very comforts which stole away too much of the love and delight of our souls from God, to cross us in those things from which we have raised up too great expectations of comfort. These providences speak the jealousy of God over us, and his care to prevent far worse evils by these sad but needful strokes and so for the degrees of our troubles. Sanctified strokes are ordinarily fitted by the wisdom of God to the strength and ability of grace within us. In measure, when it shooteth forth, thou wilt debate with it. His staff, his rough wind in the day of the east wind. Isaiah 27, 8 It is an allusion to a physician who exactly weighs and measures all the ingredients which he mingles in a potion for his sick patient, that it may be proportionate to his strength, and no more, as so much the next words intimate. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. 3. It is a good sign our troubles are sanctified to us when they turn our hearts against sin, and not against God. There are few great afflictions which befall men that do not make them quarrelsome and discontented. Wicked men quarrel with God, and are filled with discontent against him. So the scripture describes them. They are scorched with great heat, and blaspheme the name of God which hath power over these plagues. Revelation 16, 9 But godly men, to whom afflictions are sanctified, justify God, and fall out with sin. They condemn themselves, and give glory to God. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, etc. Daniel 9, 7 Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Lamentations 3, 39 Happy afflictions which make the soul fall out and quarrel only with sin. 4 It is a sure sign afflicting providences are sanctified, when they purge the heart from sin, and leave both heart and life more pure, heavenly, mortified and humble than they found them. Sanctified afflictions are cleansers. They pull down the pride, refine the earthliness, and purge out the vanity of the spirit. So you read Daniel 11:35. It purifies and makes their souls white. Hence it is compared to a furnace, which separates the dross from the pure metal. 
Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Isaiah 48.10 But for wicked men, let them be ever so long in the furnace, they lose no dross. Ezekiel 24.6 How many Christians can bear witness to this truth? After some sharp affliction have been upon them, how is the earthliness of their hearts purged? They see no beauty, taste no more relish in the world than in the white of an egg. Oh, how serious, humble, and heavenly are they, till the impressions made upon them by afflictions be worn off, and their deceitful lusts have again entangled them. And this is the reason why we are so often under the discipline of the rod. Let a Christian, saith a late writer, be but one or two free years without an affliction, and he is hardly good for anything. He cannot pray nor meditate, nor discourse as he was wont to do. But when a new affliction comes, then he can find his tongue, and comes to his knees again, and lives at another rate. 5. It is a good sign afflictive providences are sanctified to us, and we draw near to God under them, and turn to him that smites us. A wicked man under affliction revolts more and more, Isaiah 1, 5, turns not to him that smites him, Isaiah 9, 13, but grows worse than before. Formality is turned into stupidity and indolence. But if God afflict his own people with a sanctified rod, it awakens them to a more earnest seeking of God. It makes them pray more frequently, spiritually and fervently than ever. When Paul was buffeted by Satan, he besought the Lord thrice. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 6 We may conclude our afflictions to be sanctified and to come from the love of God to us, when they do not alienate our hearts from God, but inflame our love to him. This is a sure rule. Whatever ends in the increase of our love to God, proceeds from the love of God to us. A wicked man finds his heart rising against God when he smites him, but a gracious heart cleaves the closer to him. He can love as well as justify an afflicting God. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons, and covered us with the shadow of death. Psalm 44, 17-19 Here you have a true account of the temper and frame of a gracious soul under the greatest afflictions. To be broken in the place of dragons, and covered with the shadow of death, imports the most dismal state of affliction. Yet even then a gracious heart turns not back, that is, doth not for all this abate one drachm of love to God. God is as good and dear to him in afflictions as ever. 7. We may call our afflictions sanctified when divine teachings accompany them to our souls. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law. Psalm 94, 12. Sanctified afflictions are eye selves. They teach us sensibly and effectually when the Spirit accompanies them. The evil of sin, the vanity of the creature, the necessity of skewering things that cannot be shaken. Never doth a Christian take a truer measure both of his corruptions and graces than under the rod. Now a man sees that filthiness which hath been long contracted in prosperity, what interest the creature hath in the heart, how little faith, patience, resignation, and self-denial we can find when God calls us to the exercise of them. Oh, it is a blessed sign that trouble is sanctified, which makes a man thus turn in upon his own heart, search it, and humble himself before the Lord for the evils of it. In the next place, let us take into consideration those other providences which are comfortable and pleasant. Sometimes they smile upon us in successes, prosperity and the gratification of the desires of our hearts. 
Here the question would be, how the sanctification of these providences may be discovered to us. For resolution to this matter, I shall, for clearness sake, lay down two sorts of rules, one negative, the other positive. First negative. 1. It is a sign that comfort is not sanctified to us, which comes not, ordinarily in the way of prayer. The wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Psalm 10, 3, 4 Here you see providence may give men their heart's desire, yet they never once open their desires to God in prayer about it. But then those gifts of providence are only such as are bestowed on the worst of men, and are not the fruits of love. 2. Whatever success, prosperity or comfort men acquire by sinful mediums and indirect courses are not sanctified mercies to them. This is not the method in which those mercies are bestowed. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Proverbs 16.8 Better upon this account that it comes in God's way, and with his blessing, which never follows the way of sin. God have cursed the ways of sin, and no blessing can follow them. 3. Whatever prosperity or success makes men forget God, and cast off the care of duty, is not sanctified to them. It is unsanctified prosperity which lulls men asleep into a deep oblivion of God. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine and milk of sheep, fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Deuteronomy 32, 13-18 The rich are rarely grateful. 4. When prosperity is abused to sensuality, it merely serves as fuel to maintain fleshly lusts. It is not sanctified. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment go down to the grave. Job 21, 11 to 13. 5. It is a sign that prosperity is not sanctified to men when it swells the heart with pride and self-conceit, like Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom, by the might of my power, and for the honour of my majesty? Daniel 4, 29, 30. 6. That success is not sanctified to men, which takes them off their duty, and makes them wholly negligent, or very much indisposed to it. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore, say my people, we are lords, we will come no more unto thee. Jeremiah 2.31 7. Nor can we think that prosperity sanctified, which wholly swallows up the souls of men in their own enjoyments, and makes them regardless of public miseries or sins. They lie upon beds of ivory, and stretch themselves upon their couches, and eat the lambs out of the flock, and the calves out of the midst of the stall. They chant to the sound of the vials, and invent to themselves instruments of music, like David. 
They drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Amos 6, 4-6 Second, positively. 1. Those mercies and comforts are undoubtedly sanctified to men, which humble their souls kindly before God, in the sense of their own vileness and unworthiness of them. Thus Jacob said, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies, etc. Genesis 32, 10. 2. Sanctified mercies are commonly turned into cautions against sin. Ezra 9, 13. They are so many bands of restraint upon the soul that have them to make them shun sin. 3. They will engage a man's heart in love to the God of his mercies. See Psalm 18, 1, compared with the title. 4. They never satisfy a man as to his portion, nor will the soul accept all the prosperity in the world. Upon that score, like Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Hebrews 11:26. 5. Nor do they make men regardless of public sins or miseries. See Nehemiah 2, 1-3, compared with Acts 7, 23. 6. It is a sure sign that mercies are sanctified when they make the soul more ready and enlarged for God in duty. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honour in abundance, and his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord, etc. 2 Chronicles 17, 5 and 6 7. That which is obtained by prayer and returned to God again in due praise carries its own testimonials with it, that it came from the love of God and is a sanctified mercy to the soul. And so much for this third case. Fourth case. How may we attain unto an evenness and steadiness of spirit under the changes and contrary aspects of providence upon us? Three things are supposed in this case. 1. That providence have various and contrary aspects upon the people of God. 2. That it is a common thing with them to experience great disorders of spirit under those changes of providence. 3 that these disorders may be at least, in a great measure, prevented by the due use and application of those rules and helps that God hath given us in such cases. 1. That providence have various, yea contrary aspects upon the people of God, is a case so plain that it needs no more than the mentioning to let it in to all our understandings. Who of all the people of God have not felt this truth? Providence rings the changes all the world over. He increaseth the nations, and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations, and straighteneth them again. Job 12.23 The same it doth with persons. Thou hast lifted me up, and cast me down. Psalm 102.10 See what a sad alteration providence made upon the church. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations, and princess among the provinces? How is she become tributary? Is it nothing to you or ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Lamentations 1, 1 and 12. And how great an instance was Job of this truth. See Job 29, compared to chapter 30. How many thousands have complained of Naomi, whose condition hath been so strongly altered, that others have said, as the people of Bethlehem did of her, is this Naomi? Ruth 1, 19-21 2. These vicissitudes of providence commonly cause great disorders of spirit in the best of men, 
as intense heat and cold try the strength and soundness of the constitution of our bodies, so do alterations made by providence upon our conditions try the strength of our graces, and too often discover the weakness and corruption of holy men. Hezekiah was a good man, but yet his weakness and corruption was discovered by the alterations providence made upon his condition. When sickness and pains summoned him to the grave, what bitter complaints and despondencies are recorded. See Isaiah 38. And when providence lifted him up again into a prosperous condition, what ostentation and vainglory did he discover? Isaiah 39, 2. David had more than a common stock of inherent grace, yet not enough to keep him in an equal temple of spirit under great alterations. In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Psalm 30, 6 and 7. It is not every man that can say with Paul, I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Philippians 4, 12. He is truly rich in grace, whose riches or poverty neither hinders the acting nor impoverishes the stock of his graces. Though the best men be subject to such disorders of heart under the changes of providence, yet these disorders may in a great measure be prevented by the due application of such rules and helps as God have given us in such cases. Now these helps are suited to a threefold aspect of providence upon us, namely, 1. Comfortable, 2. Calamitous, 3. Doubtful, to all which I shall speak particularly and briefly. Question 1. How may we attain to an evenness and steadiness of heart under the comfortable aspects of providence upon us? Under providences of this kind, the great danger is lest the heart be lifted up with pride and vanity, and fall into a drowsy and remiss temper. To prevent this, we had need to urge humbling and awakening considerations upon our heart, such as these that follow. 1. These gifts of providence are common to the worst of men, and are no special distinguishing fruits of God's love. The vilest of men have been filled even to satiety with these things. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Psalm 73, 7. 2. Think how unstable and changeable all these things are. What you glory in today may be none of yours tomorrow. Riches make themselves wings and flee away as an eagle towards heaven. Proverbs 23, 5 As the wings of a fowl grow out of the substance of the body, so the cause of the creature's transistories is in itself. It is subjected to vanity, and that vanity like wings carries it away. They are but fading flowers. James 1, 10 3. The changes of providences are never nearer to the people of God than when their hearts are lifted up or grown secure by prosperity. Doth Hezekiah glory in his treasures? The next news he hears is of an impoverishing providence at hand. Isaiah 39, 2-7 Others may be left to perish in unsanctified prosperity, but you shall not. 4. This is a great discovery of the carnality and corruption that is in thy heart. It argues a heart little set on God, little mortified to the world, little acquainted with the vanity and ensnaring nature of these things. Oh, you know not what hearts you have, till such providences try them. And is not such a discovery matter of deep humiliation? 5. Was it not better with you in a low condition than it is now? Reflect and compare state with state, and time with time. How is the frame of your hearts altered with the alteration of your condition?
So God complains of Israel. I did know thee in the wilderness, the land of drought. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me, saith the Lord. Hosea 13, 5 and 6 As if he had said, You and I were better acquainted formerly, when you were in a low condition. Prosperity hath estranged you, and altered the case. How sad is it that God's mercy should be the occasion of our estrangement from him. Question 2. Upon the other side, it is worth considering how our hearts may be established and kept steady under calamitous and adverse providences. Here we are in equal danger of the other extreme, despondency, and sinking under the frowns and strokes of cross providences. Now to support and establish the heart in this case, take three helps. 1. Consider that afflictive providences are of great use to the people of God. They cannot live without them. The earth doth not more need chastening frosts and mellowing snows than our hearts do nipping providences. Let the best Christian be but for a few years without them, and he will be sensible of the want of them. He will find a sad remission and declining of all his graces. 2. No stroke of calamity upon the people of God can separate them from Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Romans 8.25 There was a time when Job could call nothing in this world but trouble his own. He could not say, My estate, my honour, my health, my children, for all these were gone. Yet then he could say, My Redeemer. Job 19.25 Well then, there is no cause to sink, whilst interest in Christ remains sure to us. 3. All your calamities will have an end shortly. The longest day of the saints' troubles has an end and then no more troubles for ever. The troubles of the wicked will be to eternity, but you shall suffer but a while. 1 Peter 5.13 If a thousand troubles be appointed for you, they will come to one at last, and after that no more. Yea, and though our troubles be but a moment, yet they work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 Let that support your hearts under all your sufferings. Question 3 Let us consider what may be useful to support and quiet our hearts under doubtful providences when our dear concerns hang in a doubtful suspense before us and we know not which way the providence of God will cast and determine them. Now the best hearts are apt to grow solicitous and pensive distracted with thoughtfulness about the event and issue, to relieve and settle us in this case, the following considerations are very useful. 1. Let us consider the vanity and inutility of such a solicitude. Which of you, saith our Lord, by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Matthew 6.27 We may break our peace, and waste our spirits, but not alter the case. We cannot turn God out of his way. He is in one mind. Job 23.13 We may, by struggling against God, increase, but not avoid or lighten our troubles. 2. How often do we afflict and torment ourselves by our own unquiet thoughts, when there is no real cause or ground for so doing? Thou hast feared continually every day, because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Isaiah 51.13 Oh, what abundance of disquiet and trouble might we prevent by waiting quietly till we see the issues of providence, and not bringing, as we do, the evils of the morrow upon the day. 3. What a great ground of quietness is it 
that the whole disposal and management of all our affairs and concerns is in the hand of our own God and Father. No creature can touch us without his commission or permission. I know, saith Christ, thou couldst have no power against me, except it were given thee from above. John nineteen eleven. Neither men nor devils can act anything without God's leave, and be sure he will sign no order to your prejudice. Thor, what a great satisfaction must it be to all that believe the divine authority of the scriptures, that the faithfulness of God stands engaged for every line and syllable found therein, and how many blessed lines in the Bible may we mark that respect even our outward concerns and a happy issue of them all. Upon these two grounds, that our outward concerns with their steady direction to a blessed end are found in the word, and this word being of divine authority, the faithfulness and honour of God stands good for every tittle that is found there. I say upon these grounds is such stability that our minds may repose with the greatest security and confidence upon them, even in the cloudiest day of trouble. Not only your eternal salvation, but your temporal interests are there secured. Be quieted, therefore, in the confidence of a blessed issue. 5. How great and sure and expedient have the saints ever found it to their own peace, to commit all doubtful issues of providence to the Lord, and evolve all their cares upon him. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy fort shall be established. Proverbs 16, 3 By works he means any doubtful, intricate, perplexing business, about which our thoughts are racked and tortured. Roll all these upon the Lord by faith, leave them with him, and the present immediate benefit you shall have by it, besides the comfort in the last issue, shall be tranquillity and peace in your thoughts. And who is there of any standing or experience in religion that have not found it so? Fifth case. How may a Christian work his heart into a resigned fame to the will of God when sad providences approach him and presage great troubles and afflictions coming on towards him? For the right stating and resolving of this important case, it will be needful to show, one, what is not included and intended in the question, two, what it doth suppose and include in it, and three, what helps and directions are necessary for the due performance of this great and difficult duty. One, negatively, it must be premised that the question doth not suppose the heart or will of a Christian to be at his own command and disposal in this matter. We cannot resign it and subject it to the will of God whenever we desire so to do. The duty indeed is ours, but the power by which alone we perform, it is God's. We act as we are actuated by the Spirit, it is with our hearts as with meteors hanging in the air by the influence of the sun. While that continues, they abide above, but when it fails, they fall to the earth. We can do this and all things else, be they ever so difficult, through Christ that strengthens us. Philippians 4.13 But without him we can do nothing. John 15.5 He doth not say, Without me ye can do but little, or without me ye can do nothing, but with great difficulty, or without me ye can do nothing perfectly, but without me ye can do nothing at all. And every Christian hath a witness in his own breast to attest this truth. For there are cases frequently occurring in the methods of providence, in which, notwithstanding all their prayers and desires, all their reasonings and strivings, they cannot quiet their hearts fully in the disposal and will of God, but on the contrary, they find all their endeavours in this matter to be but as the rolling of a returning stone against a hill, till God say to the heart, Be still, and to the will, give up, nothing can be done. 2. 
affirmatively, let us consider what this case doth suppose and include in it, and we shall find, 1. That it supposes the people of God to have a foresight of troubles and distresses approaching and drawing near to them. I confess it is not always so, for many of our afflictions, as well as comforts, come by way of surprises upon us, but oftentimes we have forewarnings of troubles, both public and personal, before we feel them, as the weather may be discerned by the face of the sky, when we see a morning sky red and lowering. This is a natural sign of a foul and rainy day. Matthew 16, 3 there are a certain signs of the times whereby we may discern when trouble is near, even at the door, and these forewarnings are given by the Lord to awaken us to our duties, by which they may either be prevented. Zephaniah 2, 1 and 2 Or sanctified and sweetened to us when they come. These signs and notices of approaching troubles are gathered, partly from the observation and coloration of parallel scripture cases and examples. God generally holding one tenor and steady course in the administration of his providences in all ages. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 Partly from the reflections Christians make upon the frames and tempers of their own hearts, which greatly need awakening, humbling and purging providences, for let a Christian be but a few years or months without a rod, and how formal, earthly, dead and vain will his heart grow, as such a temper presages affliction to them that are beloved of the Lord. Lastly, the ordering and disposing of the next causes into a posture and preparation for our trouble, plainly premonishes us that trouble is at the door, Thus, when the symptoms of sickness begin to appear upon our own bodies, the wife of our bosom or our children, which are as our own souls, providence herein awakens our expectations of death and doleful separations. So when enemies combine together and plot the ruin of our liberties, estates or lives, God seems to lose the bridle of restraint upon their necks. Now we cannot but be alarmed with the near approach of troubles, especially when at the same time our consciences reflect upon the abuse and non-improvement of these our threatened comforts. 2. The case before us supposes that these premonitions and forerunners of affliction do usually very much disturb the order and break the peace of our souls. They put the mind under great discomposure, the thoughts under much distraction, the afflictions into tumults and rebellion. Ah, how unwilling are we to surrender to the Lord the loan which he lent us, to be disquieted by troubles when at ease in our enjoyments. How unwelcome are the messengers of affliction to the best of men. We are ready to say to them as the widow to Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man? O messenger of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance, and to slay my son? 1 Kings 17.18 And this ariseth partly from the remains of corruption in the best souls. For though every sanctified person is come by his own consent into the kingdom, and under the government and sceptre of Christ, and every thought of his heart must of right be subjected to him, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 Yet the conquest and power of grace is but incomplete, and in part, a natural corruption, like Jeroboam of his vain men, riseth up against it, and causeth many mutinies in the soul, whilst grace, like young Abijah, is weak-handed, and cannot resist them, and partly from the advantage Satan makes of the season, to irritate and assist our corruptions. He knows that what is already in motion is the more easily moved. In this confusion and hurry of thoughts, he undiscernibly suffers in his temptations, sometimes aggravating the evils which we fear, 
with all the sinking and overwhelming circumstances imaginable, sometimes divining and forecasting such events and evils as haply never fall out, sometimes repining at the disposers of God, as more severe to us than to others, and sometimes reflecting with very unbelieving and unworthy thoughts upon the promises of God and his faithfulness in them, by all the which the affliction is made to sink deep into the soul before it actually comes. The thoughts are so disordered that duty cannot be duly performed, and a soul is really weakened and disabled to bear its trial, when it comes indeed, just as if a man should be kept waking and restless all the night, with the thoughts of his hard journey, which he must travel to-morrow, and when to-morrow is come he faints a want of rest, midway on his journey. 3. It is here supposed to be the Christian's great duty, under the apprehensions of approaching troubles, to resign his will to God's, and quietly commit the events and issues of all to him, whatever they may prove. Thus did David in the like case and circumstances. And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favour in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back again, and show me both it and his habitation. If he thus say, I have no delight in thee, Behold, here am I. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. 2 Samuel 15, 25, 26 O lovely and truly Christian temper, as if he had said, Go, Zadok, return with the ark to its place. Though I have not the symbol, yet I hope I shall have the real presence of God with me in this sad journey. I will dispose the events of this sad and doubtful providence. I know not. Either I shall return again to Jerusalem, or I shall not. If I do, then I shall see it again, and enjoy the Lord in his ordinances there. If I do not, then I shall go to that place where there is no need or use of these things. In either way, it will be well for me. I am content to refer all to the divine pleasure, and commit the issue be it whatever it will, to the Lord. Till our hearts come to the like resolve, we can have no peace within. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Proverbs 16.3 By works he means not only every enterprise and business we undertake, but every puzzling, intricate and doubtful event we fear. These being once committed by an act of faith, and our wills resigned unto his. Besides the comfort we shall have in the issue, we shall have the present advantage of a well-composed and peaceful spirit. But this resignation is the difficulty. No doubt of peace could we once bring our hearts to that, and therefore, for I shall here subjoin such helps and directions as may through God's blessings, in the faithful use of them, assist and facilitate this great and difficult work. Thirst help, labour to work into your heart a deep and fixed sense of the infinite wisdom of God and your own folly and ignorance. This will make resignation easy to you. Whatsoever the Lord doth is by counsel. Ephesians 1, 11. His understanding is infinite. Psalm 147, 5 His thoughts are very deep. Psalm 92, 5 But as for man, yea, the wisest among men, how little doth his understanding penetrate the works and designs of providence, and how often are we forced to retract our rash opinions and confess our mistakes, acknowledging that if providence had not seen with better eyes than ours, and looked further than we did, we had precipitated ourselves into a thousand mischiefs, which by its wisdom and care we have escaped. It is well for us that the seven eyes of providence are ever awake and looking out for our good. Now if one creature can and ought to be guided and governed by another, 
that is more wise and skilful than himself, as the client by his learned counsel, the patient by his skilful physician. Much more should every creature give up his weak reason, a shallow understanding, to the infinite wisdom of the omniscient God. It is nothing but our pride and arrogance, overruling our understandings, that makes resignation so hard. Carnal reason seems to itself a wise disputant about the concerns of the flesh, but how often have providence baffled it? The more humility, the more resignation. How few of our mercies and comforts have been foreseen by us. Our own projects have come to nothing, and that which we never fought on or contrived have taken place. Not our choice of the ground, nor skill in weighing and delivering the bowl, but some unforeseen providence, like a rub in the green, was that which made the cast. Second help. Deeply consider the sinfulness and vanity of torturing your own thoughts about the issues of doubtful providences. 1. There is much sin in so doing, for all our anxious and solicitous emotions, what else are they than the immediate issues and fruits of pride and unbelief? There is not a greater discovery of pride in the world than in the contests of our wills with the will of God. It is a presumptuous invading of God's prerogative to dictate to his providence and prescribe to his wisdom. 2. There is a great deal of vanity in it. All the thoughtfulness in the world will not make one hair white or black. All our discontents will not prevail with God to call back or, as the word may be rendered, make void his word. Isaiah 31, 2. He is in one mind. Job 23.13 The thoughts of his mind are from everlasting. Psalm 33.11 Third help. Set before you those choice scripture patterns of submission to the Lord's will in as deep, yea, much deeper points of self-denial than this before you. And shame yourselves out of this quarrelling temper with providence. You know what a close trial that providence was to Abraham that called him from his native country and father's house to go he knew not whither and yet it is said in Isaiah 41 2 he came to God's foot as readily obeying his call as a servant when his master knocks for him with his foot. Paul's voyage to Jerusalem had a dismal aspect upon himself he could expect nothing but bonds and afflictions, as he tells us. Acts twenty twenty three, And a great trial it was to the saints, who could not tell how to give up such a minister. Yet he resigns up his will to God's, and so do they. Acts twenty one fourteen, The will of the Lord be done. But far beyond these and all other patterns, what an example hath our dear Lord Jesus set before us in the deepest point of self-denial that ever was in the world when the Father gave the cup of suffering into his hand in the garden. Mark 14.36 The cup of wrath, the wrath of the great and terrible God and that without mixture, the very taste whereof put nature into an agony and astonishment, a sore amazement, a bloody sweat, a force from him that vehement and sad cry, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Yet still with submission, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. O blessed pattern of obedience and resignation to the pleasure of God, what is your case to this? Fourth help, study the singular benefits and advantages of a will resigned to, and melted into the will of God. 1. Such a spirit hath a continual Sabbath within itself. The thoughts are established. Proverbs 16, 3. And truly, till a man come to this, he doth but too much resemble the devil, who is a restless spirit, seeking rest, but finding none. It was an excellent expression of Luther, 
to one that was much perplexed in his spirit about the doubtful events of some affairs of his that were then pending. The Lord should do all for thee, and thou shalt do nothing but be the Sabbath of Christ. It is by this means that the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Psalm 127, 2. He means not the sleep of the body, but of the spirit. Though believers live in the midst of many troubles here, yet with quiet and composed minds they keep themselves in the silence of faith, as though they were asleep. 2. Besides, it fits a man's spirit for communion with God in all his afflictions, and this alleviates and sweetens them beyond anything in the world. 3. And surely a man is never nearer the mercy he desires, or the deliverance he expects, as one truly observes, than when his soul is brought into a submissive temper. David was never nearer the kingdom than when he became as a weaned child. Lastly, think how repugnant an unsubmissive temper is to your prayers and to your professions. You pray that the will of God may be done on earth as it is in heaven, and yet, when it seems to crush your wills or interests, you struggle and fret against it. You profess to have committed your souls to his keeping, and to leave your eternal concerns in his hands, and yet cannot commit things infinitely less valuable unto him. How contradictory are these things! Your profession as Christians speaks you to be led by the Spirit, but this practice speaks you to follow the perverse counsels of your own spirits. O oh, then, regret no more, dispute no more, but lie down meekly at your Father's feet, say in all cases and at all times the will of the Lord be done and thus I have through the aid of providence performed what I designed to speak from this scripture I acknowledge my performances have been accompanied with much weakness yet I have endeavoured to speak of providence the things that are right blessed be the Lord who hath thus far assisted and protected me in this work how providence will dispose of my life, liberty and labours for the time to come, I know not, but I cheerfully commit all to him who have performed all things for me. End of section 16